Go ahead and open there. We'll be, be in that um, text here in just a moment. So good to see all of you here uh, this morning. I miss seeing all of you uh, over this past week, and I hope that you uh, feel the same way. But I'm glad that everyone has stayed safe and stayed warm. As Kirk mentioned, it certainly is a very chilly uh, Sunday morning, but it's a beautiful morning. And as I was telling several of you, uh, I saw a post from a a friend that lives in Lexington, Kentucky this morning that said it it was negative four there this morning. So uh, as cold as it is here, we can count our blessings that we're on the right side of zero. (laughs) And uh, hopefully things will keep going in the right direction as as the day goes on. Uh, Luke chapter 12, I want to begin this morning by reading uh, at verse 13 down through verse 21. Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 13. Luke says to us that someone in the crowd said to him, said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? Then he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry." But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The the scene here in Luke chapter 12, at least in my mind, is a very impressive scene. If you go back to verse 1, as the chapter here opens, Luke gives us some information before he gets into this discourse that Jesus enters into. And Luke says there at the very beginning of this chapter that the crowd of thousands that had gathered to hear Jesus on this occasion were so large that they were stepping over one another, or stepping on one another. So you can just imagine, I don't, I don't know, Luke doesn't tell us how many people there were. He just says there were thousands and thousands of people here. Just a mass of humanity. And so while the masses are listening, Jesus was speaking primarily to his disciples. And Luke tells us that at the beginning of this chapter. He was addressing specifically those who had already made the decision to be his followers. And as you read through the first 12 verses or so here, he is saying to his disciples several things. He is warning them of religious hypocrisy. He is charging them to be people who are living their lives, that they are confessing that they truly believe that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. He is informing them of suffering that they will experience for being His followers. He was challenging them in all of that and all of those difficult circumstances of suffering and persecution to be people who put their faith and their trust fully in God. So so that is the scene as it opens here in Luke chapter 12. All these people you can just imagine, at least I imagine that they're hanging on every word that Jesus has to say. At least the disciples in this large crowd are And Jesus is imparting some very, very important instructions to them. 
But somewhere here in this huge crowd was a man who was more impressed with his own concerns and his own situation than he was impressed with the words of Jesus Christ. And this man, as we just read in these few verses, 13 through 21, he shared his concern with Jesus, which prompted Jesus to tell a parable. So this morning, what I want us to do is look at the parable of a foolish farmer. Uh, We spoke, you might remember, back in the summer, our VBS was on parables. And we touched on, I think, four of those parables. And there's just a lot of, uh, of rich lessons that we can learn from the parables. And so we're not going to have time this morning, obviously, to glean everything that we could, perhaps, from this parable. But I want us to think about this because I think it's very important. It's very much a message for us today. As we think about a foolish farmer, first of all, to consider this question, why did Jesus tell this parable? And I want us to go back and look again at the first three verses that we read this morning from 13 through 15. Again, there was a man here in in this mass of humanity who was asking Jesus to settle this argument that evidently was a family argument. He was wanting Jesus to tell his brother. I don't know if his brother was here in the crowd or not, but he was wanting Jesus to tell his brother to divide the inheritance with him. Uh, Luke doesn't say why this man made this request of Jesus at this particular time, but he does say that Jesus responded to this man's request with a question there at verse 14. He said to the man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? I believe Jesus was trying to tell this man, tell this crowd, tell us, that really he was not sent to earth to solve this man's problem. He wasn't sent to earth to... Uh, solve problems like this, to uh, settle family disputes about an inheritance as to whether this man was to get his rightful share to talk to his brother about this situation. That, that wasn't Jesus' purpose in coming to earth. Jesus was sent here to earth, of course, to solve our spiritual problem of sin. And so I think he was trying to tell this man and this audience that right off the bat. So rather than responding to the request, at least in the way that the man was thinking that he needed a response, we find here in verse 15 that Jesus instead issued a warning to this man, a warning to this crowd. The warning is found there at verse 15. It is a warning to us today when he said, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. Some of your versions might use the word covetousness here. Those two words are kind of used interchangeably throughout The scripture oftentimes, maybe we can relate more to this idea of greed, though. Um, We could preach a whole lesson on covetousness, and it would be a good lesson, I think, for us as 21st century Americans, greed. But Jesus is saying to them and to us, you need to sit up and take notice. You need to be on the alert. You need to be watching for every form of greed. Now, surely, I, I... kind of putting myself maybe in this man's shoes. Again, we don't know a whole lot about who he is or about his background or whether he had heard Jesus speak before or whether he had seen Jesus perform any miracles. But it seems to me just from the standpoint that he's coming and asking Jesus this question or setting this situation before him that he realizes Jesus is unique, maybe among teachers, that Jesus has power and wisdom and insight that other people don't. And maybe he will have the answer to this situation, and he can solve my problem. But probably this man didn't think that he was greedy in presenting this situation to Jesus. But the parable that Jesus speaks here that we just read about, that we're going to dive into a little bit more this morning, 
I think shows that this man was solely focused on the physical inheritance that he believed that he deserved rather than being focused on the spiritual inheritance that God so graciously gives all of us who are followers of his son through his son, Jesus Christ. And then Jesus spoke a very important truth here about worldly possessions at the end of verse 15. He not only issued this warning about we need to beware, we need to be on guard, we need to be on the alert for every form of greed. He says this is why we need to do that, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Even when we have much more than we need, even when we have an abundance, Jesus says, of this world's possessions, this world's goods, that's not what life is all about. And I believe that's a message, obviously, that this man needed to hear. That's a message that the Jewish first century world needed to hear. That's a message that we today in 21st century America, we need to hear quite often that our life is not defined by what we have or what we don't have. That there is a lot more to life. That shouldn't be the focus. That shouldn't be the goal of our life is to just accumulate possessions and have them all heaped up as this man seemed to be very concerned about. And to illustrate Jesus' warning about greed and possessions, then he tells this parable of the foolish farmer to help this man, to help this great multitude that is listening to Jesus, to help us to not be foolish people. So with that kind of in mind as to the why, why Jesus told this parable on this occasion, and to keep those thoughts in mind as we look at this parable a little bit more this morning, Let's just think about two two reasons that I see here in this parable as to why this farmer was a fool and some things that we can uh, look at for ourselves. Number one, I think he was a fool because he loved himself more than he loved God. Uh, Let's go back and and read once again at verse 17. Uh, Again, Jesus in telling this parable says about this rich farmer, this foolish farmer, that he began reasoning to himself saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. First of all, I think it's important that we realize what Jesus says about The man in this parable, this farmer back in verse 16, that the land of this rich man was very productive. Certainly, I don't believe it was that there was anything wrong. And we have to remember this is a parable, okay? (laughs) So not to make too much of this, but as we try to think about applications for ourselves, is Jesus saying here that that there was something wrong, that there was something inherently wrong with this man's land being very productive and it was so productive Uh, He got so many crops from from his land that he was a rich man, that he had an abundance of crops. No, that wasn't a problem. That wasn't something that was wrong, but it did present a problem. It did present a challenge for this man. What am I going to do with all of my excess crops? And so it's impressive to me that rather than this farmer in the parable, rather than him consulting God in this situation for the right solution, This man was consulting himself. Jesus says to us there at verse 17 that he began reasoning to himself. His thinking about the solution to this problem went no higher than himself. Here was a man, I think we could say, if this was a real life situation, he was reasoning inside of himself rather than going to God and God's word. And as we read several times in the New Testament about how important it is for us to reason from the scriptures, 
Even the Apostle Paul, as he traveled from city to city and went to synagogues many times, the first uh, place, if there was a synagogue in the city, and found those who were Jews, people who knew something about Jehovah and knew something about his word and had a foundation in his word, that he would reason from the scriptures with them about Jesus being the Messiah. So this man was not, it doesn't seem to be interested in what God said interested in what God's answer to his problem, what God's solution to his problem would be, he was only concerned about himself. Here was a man, it seems to me, that forgot that God, not himself, was a source of his bountiful harvest. Here was a man in this foolish farmer who forgot that God, not himself, was the one who made the land. And God was the one who created the seed that he had planted in this land. And God was the one who sent the rain and the sun. And God was the one who gave the farmer the skills to work this land. And it was really God working through him that was responsible for his land being a very productive land and for him having an excess of crops. And so all of that, I say all that to say this, that here is a man that rather than asking the question of what does God want me to do with this blessing, really, this gift that God has given to him of of an abundance of crops, he is asking, what shall I do? Here was a man, again, he was in love with himself more than he was in love with God, which I'm sure if you have studied this parable before, if you've sat in a class that has discussed this parable or heard a sermon on this parable, I'm sure that that you realize here just how many times in, in these few verses that this man talks about I and my, that he does very much seem to be focused on himself. In fact, from the New American Standard Version, just here in these three verses that we've read, I think it's 11 times that he says, you know, I or my. He is looking to himself again for the answer. And how common is that in the world in which we live? that there are so many people that live around us and we can be influenced by our world in this way, that when we face challenges in our life, when there is maybe a crisis, when we're uh, to to the point where we're at a crossroads in our life and we don't know uh, which direction to go, even when it's because of a blessing, a gift that God has given to us and we think, how how should we proceed uh, from here on out, that we have the tendency, if we're influenced by the world, to just look to ourselves to find the answer Rather than looking to God, we are people who are in love with ourselves many times rather than being people who love God. And so that remains very much a problem for us today. I want you to go to the the book of 2 Timothy for just a moment. Uh, The Apostle Paul, in uh, closing out this letter to the young preacher, uh, had something to say that that just a passage that has stuck with me that I think about uh, quite often. Uh, Beginning here in chapter 3 at verse 1, Paul says, Realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. This description of people in Paul's day is still very much applicable to people in our day. Uh, You know, as Paul begins here in verse 1, talking about in the 
the last days or the latter days. I, I believe we're living in that time. We're living in that era of time. But I want you to notice that this list of sins, where it begins and where it ends. It begins there at verse 2 by saying that men will be lovers of self. And it follows it up, the next phrase, lovers of money. I think really all of these sins that he's mentioning here stem from a love of self. Because we are in love with ourselves rather than being people who love God, I'm speaking of us generally as a society, as a people, because we are in love with ourselves rather than loving God, then we are lovers of money, then we are boastful, then we are arrogant, then we are disobedient to our parents, then we're unloving, we're people who are out of control, all of these things. But notice that it begins there with loving ourselves. And then at verse 4, he says that they are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. So you, at least in my mind, you kind of have these two bookends to this list, this picture that Paul is giving us here. It starts with being lovers of self and it ends with not being lovers of God. Well, to love ourselves more than we love God is really to think about ourselves and our thoughts, our actions are consumed with ourself, is to think more about ourselves and is to think less about God. It is to get to the point in our life where we are consumed with what pleases ourselves. Rather than being people who are consumed with what pleases God. Again, I realize what we're speaking of this morning in Luke chapter 12 is just a parable. But if we could think of it and apply it to ourselves, I think we could very easily see the point that Jesus is making here. So how do we know what pleases God? Well, we have to go to his word, don't we? Among many passages we could think about this morning from the book of Colossians as Paul begins that, uh, that beautiful letter to the church at Colossae. In Colossians chapter 1, just notice here verses 9 and 10, he's very thankful for the, uh, the, the, the way that these saints have grown, for the people that they are. He says there at verse 9, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. We have to be people like these Colossians, like Paul was praying for them and thankful that they were a, a people who were allowing God's Word to work in their life, allowing their minds to be filled with God's Word constantly, to be growing in knowledge and wisdom so that it would affect their lives so that, based on that knowledge, they could live in a way that pleases God. They can be people who are God's workmanship. So we have to be people who are regularly consulting God's Word. Obviously, the Word of God doesn't give us a specific answer to every challenge or issue or problem that we face in life. Can we turn and, and find a passage about if we had a, a dispute with a, brother, a, a physical brother about our family inheritance? No, but we can turn to even the passage we're looking at this morning in Luke 12, and we can see a principle there about don't be uh, driven by greed. We can see a lot of principles and we can take those from the Word of God and apply them to situations in our life. So the admonition I would say to all of us, myself included this morning from this first point is don't be a fool like this farmer. We need to be people who are loving God more than we love ourselves. But secondly, I would suggest to you that this farmer was a fool because he loved what I would describe as the good life more than eternal life. And so back to our text in Luke chapter 12, notice verses 19 and 20. 
as this man is continuing to talk to himself, to reason in himself or with himself about this situation. He says, I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? You see, this farmer's love of self that we just discussed for a few minutes, it was revealed in his actions, wasn't it? It was revealed in the plans that he had made for his future. Uh, though, though this man, this farmer, had given a lot of thought, it seems like he had spent a lot of time making plans for many years of earthly ease and earthly enjoyment. As he says there to himself, you just kick back, take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. This same farmer who had devoted so much time and so much energy and had made specific plans maybe for his future, he had failed to make any plans for eternity. Which for him, it seems like, what is said to us there at verse 20 is God says to him, this very night your soul is going to be required of you. That was going to begin for him very soon. Again, we might ask the question, was there anything inherently wrong with this farmer enjoying life? Is there anything inherently wrong with us in enjoying the earthly life that God has given to us? If God has blessed our land, as it were, if he has given us good seed to sow in our life, if our crops have been very productive, that we just have an abundance, much more than we need in life, is there anything wrong with us enjoying those things? Well, I think there's several biblical scriptures we could look at this morning, but I want to go back to the book of Ecclesiastes for just a moment. Uh, even several times in this, this very short book, I think the, the writer makes the point to us here, uh, back in chapter uh, 2, I think it is, over in maybe chapter 9. But I want us to look here in chapter 5, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 5 at verse 18. Um, as, he, as he ends this chapter, he says at verse 18, Here is what I have seen to be good and fitting to eat, to drink, and enjoy oneself in all one's labor in which he toils under the sun, during the few years of his life which God has given him, for this is his reward. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. I think it's very clear, not just from these texts, but others we could look at this morning, that God, yes, he does want us to enjoy the earthly life that he gives us. This is a blessing from God. This is a gift from God. But I want you to notice here uh, the emphasis, it seems to me, even in these two verses, is at, that this man is able to enjoy his life. He's able to eat and drink. He's able to enjoy the reward, the fruit of his labor, uh, because he knows that it is God, verse 18, that has given him these things. He knows in verse 19 uh, that it is God, again, who has given riches and wealth, that this is a gift of God. It seems to me... The wise man is saying to us here, as long as we live life with the right perspective, we, we remember that God is the giver of every good gift. And we are people who are regularly consulting God's word throughout our life and applying it to our life that we can enjoy the life that God has given to us. So God wants us, I believe, to enjoy this earthly life, but he wants us to do so with an eternity with him in mind. And as we just spoke of in the previous point, he wants us to do so with him in mind. Not just to think about, well, when my earthly life here is over, that yes, I can spend eternity with God. But to think about God every day. 
You know, when we come to the end of Ecclesiastes, a passage that we often rightfully apply to those who are younger in age, there in in chapter 12 and verse 1, to remember, remember, remember your creator, he says, in the days of your youth. That's keeping God in, in the forefront of your mind, not being a person who is in love with self, but being someone who is loving God, not being a person when you're faced with a challenge or a difficult situation in life or you don't know which way to go, that you're just consulting yourself and your own wisdom, but you're a person who is regularly consulting God. So back to our parable in Luke chapter 12, this foolish farmer, it seems to me, was a man who was pursuing his own personal pleasure to the neglect of pleasing God, to the neglect of his soul. In short, here was a man who was valuing the good life that this world could offer him more than the eternal life that God has promised to those that are his. And so it really comes down to, at least in my mind, uh, this choice, this question. Which, which life do we love more? Is it this earthly life, taking God out of that, taking God out of our thinking and out of our living and out of our decisions? Or is it, uh, do we love more eternal life that God has given to us? I don't want to get into this uh, particular discussion this morning. Maybe we'll look at it at some point in the future, but I, I do think in a, in a very real sense that eternal life is something that even we enjoy now, not that we enjoy it in its full, uh, but Paul, in writing to the young preacher Timothy, tells him to take hold of eternal life. Jesus said in John 17 that this is eternal life to know the Father and the Son. So if we're going down that path, if we're growing in our knowledge of God, I think in some sense we are already enjoying at least a, a, maybe a very small portion of what eternal life is going to be. And so we're making that choice right now. Are we going to be like this foolish farmer or are we going to be a person who is wise and seeks God? So how do we know which life, that, uh, which life we are loving right now? Well, here are just a few questions for each of us to think about. Which life are we thinking about more? Are, are we like this foolish farmer whose mind, his thoughts, and, and all of his life seems to be wrapped up and consumed with just his earthly possessions? Or are we thinking about eternal life with God? Is that our pursuit in, in this earthly life that we're pursuing knowing God better? Number two, which life do we make more preparation for? Is it this earthly life or is it eternal life? Number three, do we spend more resources on this life or eternal life with God? Do we spend more time and more of our abilities and energy and money and all of those things thinking about pursuing, uh, storing up this world's goods or eternal life with God? Those, Those are some really tough questions to answer. And some very sobering questions for us to consider, but I think we all need to think about those perhaps more than we do. I want us to go to the Gospel of Mark here as we're, we're just about to close. Uh, Mark chapter 8, and one of many times that Jesus talks to us about the cost of being a follower of His, uh, beginning here at verse 34, Mark says that He, Jesus, summoned the crowd with His disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after Me, He must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for 
his soul. Listen, if we're, if we're striving to be true disciples of Jesus Christ, Jesus says, here, here is the cost of admission, if you will. Here is what that's going to mean in practical terms for you to be a follower of mine. That we must be people who are losing our earthly life so that we can gain eternal life. So that we can be saved eternally. So that we can enjoy eternal life with Him that begins in some sense now, but certainly continues on in the future in a much greater sense, in a, in a fuller, complete sense. And that's a choice that all of us has to make. Uh, I can't make that choice for you. You can't make that choice for me. We all have to make that decision on our own. And truly, as Jesus says here in just these few words at the end of Mark chapter 8, if we own the whole world, if it were possible for us to own the whole world, to have a superabundance, if you will, of our uh, of possessions, and yet we lost our souls in the process, he says, what benefit would that be to us eternally? Of course, we know the answer to that. It would be absolutely no benefit. And so as we think about this parable here from Luke chapter 12 this morning, here, here is the encouragement. Here is the admonition for all of us again. Don't be a fool. We need to be people who are loving the life that God has given us now, the eternal life, the eternal life that even God has prepared for us in the future. We need to be loving that more than the good life for us, maybe more than the American dream that the world can promise us now. And by the way, the world promises us that, but it doesn't often deliver on that. Because we will find ourselves with health problems and we'll find ourselves with job loss and we'll find ourselves with all kinds of issues and challenges in our life, even if we're pursuing, quote, the good life. So Jesus concludes the parable, if you're back there in Luke chapter 12, by stating, I think, what is the so what for us in this parable in verse 21 when he says, so is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich for God. If we love ourselves more than we love God, if our temporal life is more important to us than our eternal life, we are the fool. Because we are people who are just like this foolish farmer. We are storing up treasures for ourselves rather than being people who are storing up treasures and being rich toward God. Some things for us to think about, some sobering things for us to think about. Uh, so I hope this lesson is almost over, but I hope it's not over for you. I hope you will continue to meditate on these truths, to think about how you can apply this parable to your life, to think about maybe what kind of changes you need to make. Uh, to think about how you can be a person who is focused on God and interested in God's will for your life and a person who is wanting, desiring eternal life with God. Before we close, let's have a short word of prayer. Our great God and our, our wonderful, faithful, heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you love us. We recognize you as we have thought about you this morning as the the giver of every good gift, every blessing that we enjoy. We know that every good gift comes from your hand. Father, help us to humble ourselves before you. Help us to be impressed with you and to be impressed with your word and your will for our lives, rather more, much more than we are impressed with ourselves or our own goals or aspirations or the things that we have attained in this life. Help us to remember that you are the source of all of our blessings whether they are physical, whether they are spiritual, uh, whatever blessing that we enjoy in life, we 
Help us to remember that it has all come from you. Help us, Father, to not be fools like so many in the world living around us, but help us to be wise people who are making the most of the opportunities that you give us each day. Help us to walk with you each day, to follow you, and to trust you. Help us, Father, to be people who are submitting our wills to yours in all areas of our life. We know that you have desired and you have planned for us to enjoy eternal life with you, that you have given us so many evidences in creation and in your word, and even in each other as your people, that you are very much alive and well, and that you desire that we would dwell with you and you would dwell with us for eternity. Help us, Father, to make that our goal and help us to take as many with us on that journey as we can. All this we pray through your Son, Jesus. Amen.